Hello and welcome to the Weekly Reboot, your regular Friday debrief of things I've heard and seen coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. Today, as you might be able to tell, something a little different. This is our Christmas present to you all, our loyal listeners. I put together many bite-sized snippets from our wonderful guests from the podcast for 2019. It's the parts I loved or the messages I enjoyed all wrapped up in a Christmas package for you with a little sprinkling of some Christmas hip-hop. What else? I hope you enjoy it. beautiful about simplicity and, and, and parent simplicity um so yeah i think it's also the, the whole crossing the chasm thing i think right with i think um when i yeah that, that stuff i was taught in this extreme programming is really high discipline stuff right and, and there's a lot to know a lot to learn and you know you, you realize it's a, a journey that goes on for years and it's it's not a, a, a quick superficial thing and it's not just fluffy thing it's this really kind of you know really um you know, disciplined sorts of things to it and i think yeah as things have gone uh, over the chasm i guess to the early majority and perhaps the late majority even people are looking looking to to kind of make it easier for adoption and, and make it sort of fit in with certain parts of the status quo that you know harder to change or perceived as harder to change or just not what people are motivated to change or see a business need to, to change basically mm. no, I'm not sure it totally relates to those new things but it's just that um, again the, the values and principles kind of approach you know the Agile Manifesto is, is, is great except that it can be so easily kind of skimmed over and not taken seriously mm. it, it's, it's, it's less tangible it's, it's kind of less concrete I guess uh, quite a lot of that stuff and, and that's where I think some of the things that are pretty simplistic I guess in terms of um, values and statements and things like that people need to translate them to something more concrete and and real tangible what are the implications of that i think before makes an impact i think it's pretty easy for people to say yeah 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 to that and not really change their ways in a way that's uh, really going to have the same sort of impact as if you did you know high discipline extreme programming or really took scrum to the full you know degree that you could etc yeah i've been really interested in organizational culture so yeah, I think Michael Sahota put me onto that uh, several oh, years yeah. back, yeah. and um, I do assessments around that sort of thing. And yeah, that can be just you know really interesting to see what the perception is. Just is a lot of it's like how people perceive the environment they're in, and um, yeah, what that means for the. Uh, what I've seen is the type of culture that an organisation has really has consequences in terms of the style of agile or even how they interpret agile basically mm-hmm. in an adoption so
And what's been the most surprising thing? Uh, there's been lots of surprising things. I think probably the most surprising things. I think um, uh, you know, I think we put leaders up on pedestals sometimes, like the, the obscurity of not seeing what happens in a boardroom, and we sort of build these things up in our in our heads. Uh, and actually, this has been true as I've moved into leadership positions in more seniority. Is that at every level, it's just people, it's just people working it out. There is there is no magic source. Like there's no amazing kind of um, intellect or specialness or uh, anything different about people that are in those roles. The stakes are higher. Then maybe the um, the caliber of the group you're swimming with is maybe higher as well. But at the end of the day, it's really just people working it out and people doing the best they can in the environment they've got and playing the cards they've got. Mm. And I probably imagine it's just, like if you keep going, it's probably the same. Like I just imagine like being in the White House must be about the same. It's just you know a bunch of people just trying to do the best they can with what they got. You know, it's just people in the end. Yeah. Maybe more burgers and uh, government secrets, I don't know. Yeah, more, more midnight tweeting, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Can you actually get your hands dirty and take any more? Um, it's, it's interesting, I actually had the, you know, we had a new grads start this year, mm. uh, actually this week, and on Monday, which was a couple of days ago, um, I had a chance to speak to them and, and get, get to know them a little bit, and I, I got exactly that question, is how do you... How do you stay in touch with code and do you still code and those things and tell us about, uh, React. <laughs> tell us about React and it's interesting I think the I, I kind of I reflected on the journey they're on you know the first first job after university like the the world's about you know the size of a postage stamp in terms of what technology is whereas when I when I look at technology the the problems that I'm really interested in are, are kind of big scale architecture complexity building engineering organizations yeah. having lots of squads and lots of products kind of working together getting economies of scale out of that. So they're all kind of engineering and engineering management type problems. Mm. They're not day-to-day coding problems. Um, and that's kind of, I've kind of come to the um, acceptance or realization or conclusion that I can add the most value uh, by doing that. Mm. Uh, but having said that, I still consider myself quite technical. So I, my background's in technology. I've been a developer all my life. Uh, the reason I'm on the exec table is in large parts because I know that stuff really well mm-hmm. and I can contribute at that level. Yeah. So while my contribution um, at the exec team is as a business leader, my specialty is in technology and that is very much kind of what I bring to, to the table that's unique that no one else on that table has got. Yeah. Uh, so personally, you I still- really confuse, <laughs> confuse them. Yeah, confuse them or enlighten them or actually call, call out things that are missing um, you know, call out blind spots and spot things that perhaps are not um, obvious. So the podcast, uh, I interview people and companies who are working remotely just to gather their best practices and tips and what are they struggling with and how do they solve their problems. That's what I'm most interested in. And... um, It's mostly about teams who are successfully doing it because there's so many failure stories already I thought I'd focus on like how are they rocking it. So that was, uh, that's the purpose of the podcast and then you know at this point there's 225 episodes or or one or two more now and I keep thinking like how many interviews do people want to listen to but the numbers keep going up so I thought as long as the numbers keep going up I'll keep interviewing people. 
Plus, it's a great way to meet people yeah. and have a conversation, as you know. Totally so yeah, I really love it. Yeah. I really love it. Um, and that probably just reflects that there's so much interest in working remotely and collaborating remotely, and it's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. And people are really struggling mm. with it. And I think the, the main thing that people are coming there for is because they are struggling and they're looking for answers. Like, how are they doing it? Mm. How is Zapier doing it? How is, you know, they want to know like, okay, what are they using? What are the tools they're using? How do they make it work? Yeah, and it's such a great service that you provide in lots of ways. I mean, you have the book, um, which I'll link to as well, but the, the podcast, with, which is free, where you can get so much information and tips is really great too. And listening to you talk today was awesome. As a sort of global, global nomad and a citizen of lots of different places, do you notice the collaboration challenges being different for different countries? No, that's actually really interesting, is that it's the same everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the ways of working uh, are maybe a little bit different, but even that, I don't see it. Like if I'm here versus Vietnam, I don't see, it's just people working together. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things as I travel the world, yes, there's different foods and different cultures, but still the professional culture of the way people work is so similar everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. And the challenges are also very similar everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't see a, a major difference, yeah. which surprised me. Yeah, right, yeah. It really surprised me. I think, you know, us Agile coaches, we like to wave our hands a lot and pick up Sharpies and Post-its and things like that. Yeah. And I still feel that the experience isn't there yet. And you talked about tools today. And if you're the sort of person who's used to having some kind of physical presence, um, it's hard to then just be reduced to a face on a screen. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you don't get all the gestures, the, yeah. the physical touch of things. Mm. Um, I noticed like you have your notebook with mm. uh, things written down by hand. I've also tried a number of virtual to-do lists, mm. which would be very handy, but I came back down to a book where I write down my to-dos every day by hand, by paper. So I can understand the frustration. The tooling, it's way better than it has been in the past, way better. Um, but it's still, there's nothing like physically being together. There's mm. nothing like the physical paper of, of, so yeah, there's nothing that can replace it. Mm. But if you have to replace it, there's at least really good options now. Yeah. And yeah, you are reduced to this window, but I feel that there's so much more creativity that we can do within that small window that's around us. Yeah. That, um, for instance, I work with an, a, or a, a coworker of mine is a online academic life coach. And she has these, physical whiteboards that she holds up to the camera and then writes oh. on them as she's teaching her students. And that's not something I see very often. Everybody's trying to do everything virtually. And I yeah. think, ah, oh, no, bring in some of the physical, tangible things to this video space. Yeah, right. And uh, and really, there's, so, there's lots of ways to get creative there that yeah. I think we're not getting creative in. by the topics that I see present at conferences as well and sometimes it's all about learning, creating a learning org and not everyone I guess puts at the top of their priority list when there's a long list of problems everywhere. Um, what, what are the top non-negotiables for you in terms of culture that you want for the teams? For me I think it's really important that 
everybody has the ability to learn, that they have the ability to develop. Um, and if that sometimes means that you lose somebody from a role that they're really good in because they need to develop, then so be it. You know, I've certainly seen the opposite case where somebody's been just so crucial in the role they're doing, but they want to advance, but you can't let them advance because then they wouldn't be doing the thing they're really good at right now and they end up getting annoyed and they quit. Mm. And then you lose both the good person and the work they were and doing. The so yes. it's, that's a, it's a double whammy of bad. Yeah. So I think it's really, really important that if, you know, no matter where somebody is in the organization, if they've got a desire to learn about something else, that they get the ability to do that. Yeah. I think it's really important that, you know, I've talked a bit about continuous improvement. I think it's really important that teams are empowered to act on that and they have. Um, both the, the the regular discipline of thinking about that, but also the time set aside to then act on that. So not just a retro where we all sit around and whinge about stuff, but we come up with an action and then somebody actually says, well, I am going to work on this. And that means that I'm not going to do that other thing because we said this thing's more important. I think that's, a, for me, a, a non-negotiable. Um, what else about culture? I think the other thing is that you know, you have to be very deliberate about how you grow your culture. Um, and in a business like ours where we are growing, it, it's really important to me that we don't grow too fast mm -hmm. as far as the team goes. I think if you add 10 people over a period of a number of months, you've got a real hard job to get those people all aligned mm -hmm. and to, you know, really reflect on what it is that's important about the way you work. I remember getting interested in the topic through reading an article by Basco, a guy called Basco Duart, uh, who actually ended up writing the No Essence book. Um, he wrote an article about story points being harmful. Um, and I don't know how I came across it, but uh, it, it actually, well, it sparked my interest, but actually in a, in, initially in a way of What's this guy talking about? He's talking absolute nonsense. Yeah. So um, I actually started conversing with him about it and yeah. saying, I said, but I said, but hang on a minute, but uh, you know, how do we, um, you know, how can we understand how long things are going to take if we don't put some kind of like sizing on it? And just got into this sort of debate, and I, and I kept saying, no, 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 but that doesn't work, and blah. blah. So. Um, Anyway, what it, I guess ultimately boiled down to is, is I thought to myself, you know what, like, I don't need to actually debate this. I can actually, the things he's talking about, I can actually test myself mm. without having to change anything about what I'm doing. Mm. Because it's actually, you know, the things he was talking about was saying, well, actually just um, count how many stories you deliver each. Now, I'd never even thought of that. Because so, when, um, when I did my scrum training, uh, you used story points for sizing stories and then you used hours for tasks. That's how I was taught uh, Scrum. Um, so that's what I thought, well, that's how you do, how you do it. Right? So if anyone was saying anything different, it's like, no, you know. Um, 
So, but I thought to myself, well, hang on, okay, <laughs> measuring story points each, each sprint, it's very easy to also measure the number of stories. I just never thought of doing that. Okay, so then I started measuring the number of stories. Uh, and then after, I don't know, maybe a couple of months or something, I then looked at the data and realized that what you were saying was right. And I was, or it matched, it matched what, what had happened to me. And I was like, mm. so I got a bit, I got a, a major aha moment. And I actually went back to Vasco. I said, I remember, t I specifically remember I tweeted, I just tweeted and said, you were right. Um, so that, now I was very interested in this whole topic. Yeah, this concept of art of the possible. <clears throat> I can't remember how, why I heard it in this context of Agile, but um, uh, it got me, like I really liked the philosophy that, you know, and it's so true that something that currently seems impossible um, can become possible purely by just starting to do really, really small things each day. Um, even if it, it doesn't seem like that thing is actually a step towards the broader thing. So, I, so for example, when I started running, the thought of running a marathon would be just impossible, mm. right? Uh, and it, well, it, not just it would seem impossible, it is impossible. Mm. Like if I had, on the day that I decided to start running, tried to run the marathon, I yeah. would have failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't even talking about marathons. I, I, I was just talking about, well, I'm going to start running and I'm just going to start, you know, um, run slash walking around the tan. And then the next day I'll try and run a little bit further and then a little bit further and a little bit further. I had no aspirations of doing anything more than that. I was just doing what I was yeah, doing. Yeah. Um, and then one day you wake up and you go, a marathon is possible. Yeah. So that concept for me is what like, is, is a big reason, is a big thing as, as, as to what agile philosophy is about. Yeah. It's about it, it, something that, you know, often we, often we tell ourselves this thing, we're never gonna be able to, you know, build this thing for this amount of money or, you know, solve this problem for this amount of money. And by actually realizing that sometimes things that seem impossible uh, and are impossible now become possible just by doing little little things that are you know little things which are um, good things to do good habits to do can suddenly make the impossible possible and it happens every single day um so you're hanging around a lot of these cool digital companies um, what's that like? What are you seeing in these other orgs? What are the trends? Look, the big end of town is really embracing cloud at the moment. Um, we've been doing a lot of work over the last couple of months with our, our very good friends Amazon Web Services. Um, the, what that organisation is achieving um, is absolutely staggering in terms of changing the landscape for enterprise organisations, um, being able to be more dynamic in their technology. Um, the, the migration to cloud is, um, is providing air cover for a lot of really sound engineering practice mm, uplift. That's a good observation. So... Um, you know, moving off our existing infrastructure in a way that's going to give us reliability and scalability is also a beautiful opportunity for refactoring and re-architecting. Um, 
enterprise applications in a way that's going to make them more sustainable and scalable going forward. Um, I personally love um, the way cloud hosting exposes um, dysfunction in software delivery in the software delivery life cycle. Mm. I think it leaves nowhere to hide for poor engineering practices, and I think it's a beautiful reality check for our whole industry around capability building. Um, you know, we're not like the legal profession or the accounting profession or other professional services where we. Um, hold ourselves to a standard of training and professional development and you know we don't even really have any um, I would argue we don't Mm. really have any industry bodies that really effectively um, represent technology you know at a government level or, or, or in the community so anything I think that holds us to an account to account for producing a higher standard of quality and a higher standard of work um, is something that's going to benefit our whole community, every business in our community. Um, if 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 every technologist was you know seven point eight percent better at mm. their job, imagine what the bottom line impact would be for the for the Melbourne business community or the Australian business community. What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself and your abilities? Oh, that's a really good question. I think the thing that maybe has surprised me the most um, is how open people are to help. Um, I've always been someone who, and maybe you know, growing up on the farm or just being a, a bullheaded, um, we can reshape the world kind of perspective sort of person. I've I've never been afraid to roll my sleeves up and get things done. I've always relied on myself and my own abilities. Um, and I think probably one of the things I took the most from ThoughtWorks was learning really how to collaborate. Mm. I think I was always enjoyed collaboration, but I think I really gained the skills to do that well mm. in ThoughtWorks. Um, and I've been amazed at, if I look back over the course of my career, how many incredible people took time to offer advice, offer feedback, um, provide guidance or mentoring or support or, um, or or even just ask questions in a way that allowed you to reflect on things and, and maybe come to a, a, a change in perspective. Um, yeah, our, our, our technology community in Melbourne is filled with really remarkable people mm. who, who are generous and, and care a lot um, about, about helping other people, I guess, mm. are just intrinsically motivated to help other people. Um, and it's been really amazing what, um, how people have rallied and come together in support of um, the change that we're talking about driving through the community, how many people are invested in, in, in helping the Melbourne community be the best version mm. of, of, yeah. There's always a, be. a decent cohort um, working at REA definitely showed oh. me that like any cause, like 
they're there on the weekend, no problem. Yep. Teaching women DevOps, we're here. Oh, the DevOps <laughs> Girls just, Initiative was absolutely remarkable. Yeah, yeah. It is absolutely remarkable, I Something for the Yes campaign, no yeah. problem. Oh. Change a logo, we can do that. Yeah, <laughs> the so Yes brilliant. campaign. Uh, the yeah. white ribbon stuff, it's just, yeah, it's really quite... Uh, it is inspiring because these are all kind of people that are deep within technology companies and mm-hmm. technologists and they've got like these big hearts and they Huge want to give back. Mm. Yeah, um, th- that's been a bit of a surprise for me. I guess I come from a, you know, do-it-yourself kind of mindset. Yeah. Um, it's really remarkable how much help is out there if you ask for it. And mm. if you fly a flag and, and you know, you're moving in a certain direction and you're, you're talking about that and you're promoting that and you're putting that out there, mm. it's really incredible how many people I've found just come out of, no, out of the woodwork and out of nowhere to mm-hmm. help, mm. you know. So learning to ask for help, you reckon. Um, and accept, recognise where help's being offered and yeah. accept help. Now, it's interesting because I did look you up. It's interesting that that you're an executive director. When I Googled you, I found that out, which surprised me because when I look at your Twitter profile, it says you're a glue. Oh, yes, that's a thing I stole from Jeff Patton, actually, and it sounds kind of a little bit gross, but um, it's a role that he talks about, which is gluing things together, but also lubricating things so that they move smoothly. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, you made that face as well. So, um, yeah, but it. It is, you know, the greasing of the wheels and the kind of, I guess, in Australia would probably call it getting shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, kind of, yeah, being the glue. Mm. Um, so it's a little combination of both. And I, I like that because I think that's kind of what I end up doing regardless of role. Teaching qualification and uh, didn't get to use it in anger for six months, which was really quite fun. People, uh, I think everybody who finds doing presentations terrifying might consider doing some volunteer teaching because when you have to get up in front of a sometimes very hostile audience and try and sell them on an idea or a concept that they're probably not interested in and do that several times a day every day over and over and over where a projector may or may not work so you need to be able to sort of you know, razzle-dazzle your way through if, if there's a tech failure. And now I think, oh, how people say, are you not terrified you stand up in front mm. of all these people? And I'm like, these people paid to be here. Yeah. They're, they're happy, you know. The tech is going to work. This is easy. Mm. So I think that was a really good experience and helped a lot with facilitation as well. Resilience so probably. Well, it's interesting. Um, and I spoke about this last last was it last year I think it was last year um with Kaniga about what we can learn from what kids do in school but yeah there just does seem to be a a real lot of collaboration and people are willing to support initiatives without doing that whole oh let me think about what's in it for me Mm. they're just really into oh let's just support the community oh this supports the the Melbourne developer or agile or whatever community yeah I'm into it let's go Mm. which just it's just so it's a delight it Mm. really is 
know, understanding cultural differences is important, but I think some of them are way more interesting, but also more rudimentary than you think. So one of my biggest blunders ever, oh, not really ever, but it was a, it was a, a quite an interesting corporate um, cultural blunder, was when I was working in the UK and I was working in London, Leeds and Glasgow, and we were having a huge strategic meeting for over a couple of days in, um, in Leeds and all of the um, top execs were coming in and I was running it. And it was one of the first things I'd done when I, when I went to the UK um, with NAB. And um, one of the things that obviously had to be organised was catering. And so I'd been told to organise bacon butties for the morning for breakfast because everyone would have flown in or, or travelled by train. And I thought, no, no, that's white rolls, bacon and butter. That's not going to set people up for a great day. <laughs> so I, instead, I organised beautiful pastries and fruit platters and... <laughs> thinking that was way better for everybody um, and everyone would really enjoy it. Basically, we ended up running that for those three days behind by about two hours because there was such uproar when people arrived and there were no bacon butties <laughs> that I had to then go and get some made and we couldn't start until people had had their bacon butty. <laughs> and I didn't know that you had to have brown sauce with it, so then I had to find, try and find brown sauce. It was ridiculous. So I think that... Um, you know, each team has its own culture, and I, I don't think you know. Sometimes we talk about culture as if it's it's as if it's one definition, and if it's a as if it's a universal definition. And you know, while there are theoretical definitions, when it gets down to it, it's how every team works around here, mm. and each of those is different. So when you're coming in somewhere new, you have to take some time to understand that, and then work out if that's the right fit for the, you know, to deliver on the vision going forward. And if it's not, then work out what what needs to change. How do you how do you survive? Is it or how do you make progress? How do you make progress? Um, I how think. How do you not feel like blowing your brains out? Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. you hit bureaucracy and just large company. Um, yeah. So I mean, one of the things that I like about working in big organisations is you do meet lots and lots of people, and I love I get a lot of energy from other people's ideas um, as well. But in order to be able to channel that energy and to optimise it effectively, you've got to have a really strong sense of yourself, but also of the part that you're playing in, in an organisation's future. Mm. So, you know, whenever I talk about a kind of leadership style, my leadership style is um, I try to enable an, um, an environment where people come to work with a sense of purpose and leave with a sense of accomplishment. Um, and I think that to do that, you need to create um, with the team, a very strong vision of what, you know, what you're striving for. But then that has to be underpinned by some shared values and some shared principles because you only go to those when times are tough. Mm. Um, and if you don't have them, then something is really missing. And so how do I keep myself um, interested? Because I'm, I'm always attracted to um, either transformation roles or growth roles. And so it's not the status quo. Um, and so for me, a lot of my career has been about um, going into a place that, that, needs, that needs to be transformed or um, where there's an opportunity to create a product um, or create a new idea or create a new way of working and then enable other people to come along on the journey and hopefully that will have a, a customer impact as well.
stuff and it's a system that interacts and eventually it kind of ossifies and locks, locks itself into a way. Yeah. Um, and then that's just the natural way mm. the organisation is. Somebody, I don't know who it was, said, I can't remember where I picked this up, but it's something that I reckon is really true, which is um, a company kind of matures at a certain time and place, right? And then that's its personality, mm. right? Or that's its kind of default culture, right? And then from then on, um, the default culture will only ever change if something really radical and disruptive happens to it, mm. right? Um, so if a company manifests itself as its kind of you know, successful entity in 1982 in North America, then it's kind of got that personality and it always will have unless something radically changes it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's... A little bit um, what? cheesy, wearing pastel colours, driving fast cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's some other line out there that says, it's one of those systems thinking things probably came out of the Lean Kanban crowd, but um, an organisation an organisation can only be as mature as the leadership of that organisation. Mm. Right? So, yeah, so if you are that shouty man, mm. that's going to be the personality of your organisation if you're the CEO. Right? The common thing to them all is they weren't in Melbourne, which was the head office. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that you experience when you work in the not head office is a whole bunch of decisions get made on your behalf and you're not necessarily present mm -hmm. to advocate your interests or you know, apply your expertise to those conversations. So in my job, I used to fly around the world and hang out in the other offices. And um, part of it's you know, turning up and understanding the needs on the, on the, on the ground. And, um, and sometimes they're little things and sometimes they're big things. And sometimes it's just someone from head office has come to you know, pay attention to us and listen to us mm. and, and it's great and yeah, and you build personal relationships with people. Um, you would elaborate and explain the kind of mission and story stuff that, you know, in the half hour presentations doesn't necessarily get fully fleshed out. So, you know, it's follow through on purpose and mission. Um, and then you'd go back to the head office in Melbourne and then you would be in those strategic conversations and those big build conversations and you would know the agendas and interests of those regional offices and you would speak on behalf of them mm -hmm. so that their voice gets included. Yeah, and that um, doesn't always mean speaking on their behalf literally. Sometimes mm -hmm. it means, hang on a minute, let's get this person from this place into this conversation. Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, um, there was no offshore. There was like a global team. What's the difference between remote working and working together? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, the way I answered it was like, you have to be more mindful and proactive about your communication because people can't see you. So you have to raise the, the awareness that you want to talk about something, not just talk about it, right? Or they're not in front of you, so you might just sit quietly, but you have to go, well, that's not right, I have to speak, or I have to type into Slack, or whatever mm. I have to do. So really, I think it's just the gap is the communication skills and, and specifically the proactiveness to utter something, mm. right? Even if you don't know what you're going to say. To just go, um... A I bit think, of thinking out loud I, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that thinking out loud. You know, t I remember testers you know, years ago were talking about test out loud. And yeah. you know, as, you, as you're doing things, you'd record what you're doing and talk out loud about it. Yeah. And then later when you're kind of trying to root cause it, you'd, you'd hear the thinking that's going on at the time. Mm. And then, um, yeah, and I, like I think that's it really. Just like kind of a mindfulness and a proactiveness around communication. And, and um, of course, the other one is like being um, comfortable speaking without knowing what you're going to say mm -hmm. right and I think that the younger you are and the less mature or confident you are in your, your professional skills the less likely you want to expose your ignorance but those of us that have worked for a lot of years know that exposing your ignorance fast is the best way to move forward mm -hmm. so you know kind of teaching people that, that as a skill mm. helps them accelerate in their performance yeah yeah 
somebody from ANZ, this a couple of years ago, somebody from ANZ said, you know, what about this Agile thing? You know, what should we do? And I think both of us almost said the same thing at the same time, which is, don't worry about what other people are doing, just be good at your job, right? And if you get really good at your job, then that sets an example to the people around you, and then they can be good at their job. And then that ripple effect will just make everything better. Hmm. And instead of worrying about what you call things or ceremonies or sprints or any of that sort of stuff, like while there's goodness in those techniques, hmm. ultimately just turning up and trying to be engaged in your work and doing a good job is a great start. But you always find the people that are a little bit eye rolling, you know, a little bit more sceptical about the, the ha happiness and are just really after that mechanism for getting delivery done. Yes. And so with those people, I just talk to them about effect effectiveness and efficiency mm. and removing waste and all those good things that still mm. resonate. And you can see they want those outcomes. They want great products. They want, you know, commercial products. They spend with customers. Yeah. But they're very kind of, they, they quite sceptical about anything to do with people's happiness, <laughs> although you always find that yeah. too soft a topic to yeah. enter into. Yeah. Why, do you, why do you think that is, that not everyone gets it at the same sort of level that maybe you do, maybe I do? Yeah. Maybe the yeah. kind of people that are going to come to your conference do? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, look, in some cases I found that relating agility to their own strategic initiatives is useful. Yeah. So. If I find um, about the organization and uh, what the CEO's um, you know, vision or the strategic initiatives are, usually they say, we want to build the high performing teams or we want to be faster, we want faster time to market and all that, yeah? Mm. And then you start relating to that. Look, this is what you want, is it? And they say, yes. And then you can direct the conversation mm. how that happens. And I think people who are genuinely interested in building high performing teams, they will come to the conference. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it's possible to get even short-term results, though, and kill culture in the process? Yes, yeah. it, it is possible. You just have to find ways. It, well, I won't say just have to because whenever we use just, we don't justify with that. <laughs> there are ways. It's, it's about finding ways. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it could be anything. Maybe there is an influential person not in the team but in a, some other department who is being affected by mm -hmm. um, the changes. And... They are interested in the culture thing, yeah. Mm. So you have to find. And so, yeah. are you inspired to do this because you've worked in some terrible cultures, Rajesh, or yeah, the that, opposite? Well, it, it's both. So I did work in a few terrible cultures, and I thought, why isn't anyone telling people that this aspect is very important, mm. not just applying some framework or uh, mm. or some practices? So that was one reason. Another one was, uh, as I mentioned before, that. I couldn't find any anywhere where people had a platform to talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was also one of the main reasons. We talk about culture. Yeah. Everyone talks about culture. They do. But most people, and I'm saying most of those who I know, and I can claim that I know a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do not know how to implement these things. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't seen anyone talking about these, mm. how to do it, mm. and that's why I thought maybe we give a platform to people where they can come over and learn how to do it. Yeah, okay, yeah. learn from each other. You learn from each other, learn from um, others. Yeah, it's 
it's it is tricky, I think, because you do, like we are going through a period of change. You know, we've had a few changes at our um, exec, we call it a NAV team mm-hmm. um, level. So, um, and we've had, you know, changes in team members as well. And as you bring in um, more capability and more senior people, their expectation is that they will come in and, and you know, drive change and do it fast and, I guess, uh, for Envato, it's it's you know about doing all of that, but in a very values um, aligned way. And what about those challenges of growing? Like, what kind of because the you know people enjoy being there so much. I suppose that there's probably resistance to even the idea of growing from some corners. What kind of resistance yeah. do you get? I think that, I think that's right. The i the idea, you know, uh, people like like people like being here as it is. I guess, but. Um, you, like you, I suppose with a business, the systems and processes haven't necessarily scaled. So what that sort of translates to is more people to do the same work because it can be manual. Um, and so if you take a look at, well, what do you need to do to improve that automation, uh, improving processes, it's kind of the boring stuff and <laughs> uh, and people like the shiny new stuff and they don't necessarily want to go and fix all the things. And um, But I liken it to a house. Like if you don't get the foundations right and uh, you keep building, then eventually something's going to break. Mm-hmm. Ho, ho, ho. I guess I meant people in our line of work who, you know, how long do you stay on the on the treadmill and in delivery, you know, I think often people are seeking mm. um, some different perspective or maybe to work at another level mm. um, without wanting to step out of the industry altogether. <laughs> so, mm. interesting. I heard an interesting stat yesterday, which was that there's more part-time workers than ever before in Australia. Yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe that thing that they said in the 70s about computers would give us more leisure time. <laughs> Um, less, yeah, hours in the office is finally coming true. So, yeah, yeah. also well, more that. flexibility, more fluidity, I think. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, everything's yeah, possible. Mm. Ho, ho, ho! As I said in the address opening up this morning, I, I think Spark is trying to be something to be trying to give, um, trying to put a great focus on what you take away from the conference and what you enact as a as a as an attendee and a participant in the day, not just what you're inspired by, but what you actually do when you take a step out the front door and you're, and you're back into your office. What are you doing with the stuff you learned here? So the stuff about the letter to yourself. And the, yeah, so and the tell promises. me about that because I'm, I'm sitting next to Ringo today mm. and apparently he he started that His idea, last was it? Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me it, about what it... Well, what I, I, you know me for a long time, Alex, and, and I'm, I'm constantly on about what, what do I, I... I just don't want to come... I want to know when I attend a conference, I want something I can take away and do. Because it was it was very much a, a part of what I I felt the early my early attendance at Agile conferences was about. I could take some practices and not only be inspired by what those practices represented, but I could actually do some stuff in my office tomorrow. So I got a lot of tips and things that I could actually take away and do tomorrow. Um, and then over time, I found that lots of conferences don't do that so much. They um, uh, they inspire on and the day, they, and then yeah. you go back to work. Yeah, and... Oh yeah. <laughs> and although I got, yeah, rather than, yeah, I like a bit of both in my day, but uh, in my conferences. But this one's about come here, be inspired, sure, but these speakers should give you something that you can take away and do tomorrow um, 
or next week or whatever. So the point is, we, we're asking people, we're putting it on people here today to say, write it down. What are you going to do? Not what are you going to, well, not what did you like, not, not what did you appreciate, but what are you going to do? Mm. Write that on a bit of paper and give it to me and I'll mail it to you in six weeks to remind you that you promised yourself you'd do something. Yeah, isn't it brilliant? And what about you? What's your note to self? Note to future, Adrian. My note to self? Oh. I think it's meetups actually. Um, I uh, haven't been uh, attending many meetups lately in the last 12 months or so, and coming out into an environment like this reminds you, shit, yeah, this is this is what this is where you get it from. You get your energy from. You get your um, you see your mates and you and you get those little tips from that you that you do enact. So you better get out the front door fitter and get out to a meetup or two. There's a group of this millennial population, like mid-30s, digital native, all that kind of thing. They're about to go through the biggest crisis of their life called turning 40. Now I remember turning 40, it was kind of like, oh my god, and, and you know, they're going to melt. Yeah, they've got too big a mortgage, they've got too many children, or not enough children, they've got parents retiring. This is the moment for the 27-year-olds to grab power mm. as their 40-year-old bosses um, emotionally melting down is, is, has caused the revolution. Jump out there and actually kind of lead from within. Visualise the work, start to own the strategy, force the conversation. So I think that's going to be an interesting time because we, we, we do see in Melbourne in particular this, this digital generation mm. who are in their 30s. Like mm. You think of all the people we've worked with they're, they're about to turn 40, and I reckon it's a tough time. So mm. that's my um, kind of morning's reflection on how will we make things better working in Australia. I'm doing this because work is awful. Mm. And in the West, we've divided it up in a way into McJobs, and it's, you know, for the Ford and Taylor mentality. You can work can be better than this. Work can include human dignity, it can include aspiration, it can, can include continuous improvement, but not under a traditional bureaucratic method. So can, that's really all I do it for. Yeah. And, and our dilemma is, is people demand to know what's the one recipe. Mm. And, that, and well, there's not one recipe. You actually need to learn a whole bunch of ways of changing that conversation around and maybe not having it today, maybe doing it tomorrow. The dilemma is we are out there training it, mm. and it's not people pulling it to mm. like, okay, well, how can we work better? How can we work better? It's us going in on behalf of their bosses mm. and saying, okay, well, you need to be agile now, and mm. they're like, oh, why? What? And that, and that, that's that conversation I must have had a thousand times in the last three years at REA Group. Yeah. Wow, we reached we reached a point where there's more money made from issuing certificates than the productivity improvements resulting from changing the way you work. Lean is a holistic system and it's a holistic management system. So I know we all hate the word management but that's that's the essence of it. And Agile really we're trying to stretch this tiny, this kind of thing that was just designed to make better software into a management system. It won't, it won't fit. It will never fit. Give up now even if you've extended it all the way to scaled agile frameworks mm. or whatever it is not a management system yeah. and that's what organizations from startups to scale-ups to 
you know, enterprise actually need today. Yeah. What's behind the name Superproductive? Um, you see it on the front page there, actually. Um, it's because being unproductive really sucks. And, I, and, and if I reflect on all of the stuff from Lean, so Lean's foundation is I, I've had the chance to learn from the people who, who wrote, who invented that term. And there's a, there's a really interesting story about lean versus agile mm -hmm. uh, in that sense. But we'll get back to that one. Mm -hmm. uh, productivity is actually the thing that people care about. So whether that's the CFO, who cares about product, or CFO is deeply concerned about productivity or the CEO or the exec suite. Mm -hmm. Anything well that, well productivity below that is actually just lines of code and developers being asked to check in and check out and all those really quite negative views of what productivity is. My experience is that if you give a software developer a shitty laptop mm. and a bad internet connection and reduce their productivity, they're going to hate it. And they just and what do they hate about it? They hate about not making progress towards meaningful goals, which is one definition of happiness. But that progress is the productivity. You give a call center person a crappy laptop, a bad, bad headset and some software that they can't bring up the customer who's on the line on, you're actually ruining their mental health. Yeah. You're making them unproductive. So it turns out everyone cares about productivity. And if you start the conversation from there, it's like, well, how can we be the most productive? You very quickly get into your and my world of, well, we, it's about teams and solving problems and visualized work comes up very quickly and bam you're in our world so that was our christmas present the 2019 year in review of podcast interviews it took a lot of time to edit so i hope you enjoyed hearing it as much as i enjoyed editing together our final 2019 episode i've put links to all episodes that had previously appeared in the show notes so you can go back and re-listen to that full list at your letter which I did to create this bumper edition and I have to tell you it was pretty good when I went back to listen to those fine people so much collective wisdom and experience and each with their own little gem of value which is how I kind of think of our whole wonderful big lean agile and systems thinking community so Merry Christmas to all of you out there and we're very grateful to be a part of that community and to be bringing you just a small slice of it every week We'll be back in 2020 to reboot the year with season three of the Weekly Reboot.